Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So I, I was invited to this church that I love, that is faithful. Uh, I was in, invited to preach on this particular passage, the, the message to the church in Sardis. And it was, it, this was last year, if not a couple of years ago. And one, one uh, pretty funny thing that happened is that right before I went up to preach, it happened to be their uh, annual financial report. And so they were talking about the money that had come in and they were talking about the missionaries that they were supporting with the money and the ministries that they, were, that they had uh, funded with the money and, and the programs that they had. And basically they were, they were talking about all of the good things that they were doing, which I applaud them for all of those good things. I also applaud them for uh, giving a financial report to the church. Uh, but the funny thing is that I followed that report, that very positive report with the words, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So it was, it was an interesting message to preach on that Sunday. And like I said, this, was, this is a faithful church. I know many of, many of them, and I know that they love the Lord that they are faithful to him. But my prayer for them was, and my prayer for us is that if there are some among them or among us who are keeping a reputation of being alive, who are just going through the motions, who are just performing just the right works to make it look like we are faithful to God, but in reality, we are dead. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that the words of Jesus would really speak to our hearts and bring repentance to our hearts. This, this particular message to the church of Sardis is, is uh, perhaps second to the one to Laodicea in terms of uh, grimness. It is, it is not a very happy message, at least not to begin with. It is a, a strong and sobering exhortation. And one of the things that I've learned when pre- is that when you are preaching a passage, you want to make sure that the tone of your sermon is the same tone of the passage. So at least to begin with, this sermon is not gonna be extremely happy and feel good because the message that Jesus has for the church of Sardis is not feel good kind of message. So let's, uh, let's read the word of God. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, 
I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these words that the Lord Jesus revealed to John to write to the church of Sardis and to the other six churches and ultimately to the church, to your church. Please give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Please give us understanding. Please uh, fill me with your Spirit to proclaim your word. Help us to take these words to heart, not to take them lightly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things that has uh, helped me in, in understanding this particular passage, and, and you could use the same principle with uh, pretty much all of the other uh, messages to the churches, but for this particular one, I like to think of it in terms of a visit to the doctor. So you can probably go to the doctor and say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling right. I, I don't necessarily feel terrible, but I'm not feeling right. There's something going on. And so when you go to the doctor, the diagnosis is you're about to die. You're not doing well. You have long, uh, you have pneumonia, you have long cancer, you have whatever it is. And you're like, but how is this? Like, I, I actually don't feel that bad. And the doctor, and I think it, I was listening to Sam's message and it was actually a, a similar analogy. But in this case, the, the diagnosis is you are as good as dead. That's how bad this situation is for you. And so Jesus is this doctor that is giving the diagnosis. And he is also going to give a prescription to the church of Sardis. And then he's going to tell them what's going to happen if they do not follow the prescription. And then he's going to give them some good news at the end. And one of the reasons why I think of this in terms of a doctor is because uh, this is a difficult message. This is a message that is sobering, like I said. And it's a message that a lot of preachers would rather not preach. And, and I understand that. Like, I, I don't feel like I have the right credentials to come and, you know, rebuke the church. But what, what helps me to preach with authority is that these are not my words. Is that it is Jesus, the one with all the credentials. He is the one who is speaking. He is the one who is telling the church, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He is the, the doctor with the right credentials. And so he starts naming his credentials, right? To the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God 
and the seven stars. So the seven spirits, it's not that there are seven Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit, but a lot of the times it presents himself in a multiform way. For example, when you read in Isaiah 11, when it's promising about, when it's a prophecy about the, the, uh, the, the branch from the, from the root of Jesse, it says of the Messiah that he will receive the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of justice and, and, he, and, and a bunch of qualities are named. Seven qualities are named, in fact. And so it is this same spirit, this multiform spirit that is bringing this message to the church. So Jesus is coming with the authority of the spirit, with the prophetic authority of the spirit, and also with the reviving authority of the spirit. He is speaking to a church that is as good as dead. And so the Holy Spirit needs to be involved in the revival of this church. And really the Holy Spirit needs to be involved in the revival of any church. We cannot bring life. God is the only one that can breathe life into a church. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring life to the church. He is also the one who has the seven stars. Remember the description at the beginning. He holds the seven stars on his right hand and the seven stars are the seven angels to the seven churches, which uh, again, there are different opinions, but I believe that these are the leaders of the churches. These are the messengers, the human messengers of the churches. And so Jesus has authority over the leadership of the church. And so he has, he has uh, spoken with his credentials and now he is going to give the diagnosis. The diagnosis is short, but I cannot say that is sweet. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Notice how Jesus has been judging these churches on the basis of their works. It's not that salvation is by works. We know that, right? We know that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. But like we all know from James, faith that is without works is, is dead. Jesus looks at our works. Jesus judges our works. And so this particular church is not that they didn't have works because they had a good reputation. It was probably a church that other people looked at and they said, wow, look at the church of Sardis. Look at all the programs that they have. Look at the, the, um, look at the music that they play. Look at how many people they, look at all the evangelistic programs that they have. Look at all these things that they do. It was probably a church that had, a, that, that other churches looked at and said, this church is a good church. You should be like the church of Sardis. But we need to remember that God doesn't look into man the same way that man does, right? Remember when, when Samuel goes to uh, anoint the, the new king of Israel and he wants to anoint David's oldest brother, right? Because he sees that he is strong and, you know, good looking. And eventually after going through all the brothers, he's like, well, is there any other guy here? 
And God says, I do not look, I do not see the same way that man does because I look into the heart. And so even though the church of Sardis might've had good works, their, their works were not complete in the sight of God. And so what about us? What about your church? What about you as an individual? You might have the right works. You might have the right lingo. You might know the right things to say to have an appearance of godliness. Your entire life might be, might, might, might revolve around your Christianity. But when your works are evaluated, when God looks at your works, what does he think of them? Because in the end, it doesn't really matter what others thinks, think of your works. It matters what God thinks of your works. Are your works complete before him or are they lacking? Or are you just going through the motions? So that is the diagnosis. You are about to die. You're as good as dead. Now in verse three, he gives them a prescription. He says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So the diagnosis is, is really simple. Sorry, the, the prescription is really simple. It's three things. Remember, obey, and repent. Remember, obey, and repent. And let me tell you something. This three-step three uh, prescription is Christian life. You remember what you have learned, what you have heard. You remember the message of the gospel that you received. You remember the grace of God and his great salvation. I, we, we've said it multiple times. The gospel is not something that you graduate from. The gospel is not something that just gets you through the door and then you forget about it. No, you have to remember what you have heard. You have to remember what you have received. There is not a single sin that cannot be fought through the gospel, through the power of Christ's resurrect, Christ crucified and resurrected. And so we need to keep remembering the gospel, going back to the gospel. But then we need to keep it. We need to obey what we remember, right? What is the point of remembering? What is the point of knowing the right things if we don't do the right things? You remember the, the story that Jesus told about the man that built his house on the sand. What was the problem with the guy that built his house on the sand? Well, he was like the hearer who just heard Jesus' words, but he didn't do them. And also you remember the, the blessing at the beginning of the book of Revelation. It says, blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep, who obey what is written in it for the time is near. So we need to remember, we need to keep, to obey, and we need to repent. Repentance is a crucial part of the Christian life. If you, are, if you are reading the word of God every day, 
And every time you read it, you just feel like giving yourself a pat in the back. There is a chance you're reading it wrong. I'm not saying that the word of God shouldn't encourage us. But if you're just looking at the word of God and then have a checklist over here and say, oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Man, I'm such a good Christian. I'm obeying the whole thing. Then I think you're reading it wrong. The word of God should bring us to repentance. When we look at the word of God and, think, and, and see, wow, man, I'm failing in this area. I'm sinning in this area. That should bring us to repentance and it should bring us back to the beginning of the cycle, remembering the grace of God. We, we look at our sin, we repent from our sin and we go back to the grace of God and you start over. That is the Christian life. I don't think that Christians will ever stop sinning until Jesus returns. I don't believe in full sanctification before the return of Jesus. There's this anecdote that my dad would say, I don't know if it happened to him or to someone else, but uh, this pastor was counseling a couple and the husband said, yeah, I've, I've achieved full sanctification. I don't sin anymore. And so the pastor just looks at the wife and is like, really? And she's like, no, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> so we continue to sin every day and we need to repent every day of our sin. And we need to go back and remember the grace of God that forgives us. And then we need to obey. Where we have fallen short, we need to obey. So this is what the church of Sardis needs to do. They need to remember, they need to obey, and they need to repent. Now, there is a warning. There is a very serious warning for this church. And this is where the analogy of the doctor breaks because Jesus is no longer acting as a physician, but he is acting as the executioner. He is acting as the one who will bring the punishment. If this church fails to follow the prescription, this is what's going to happen. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. There is a very interesting story in... Uh, for the church of Sardis, or sorry, I should say for the city of Sardis. So the, the city of Sardis had an Acropolis that was uh, basically on the top of a mountain. It was, uh, it was a plateau on the top and it was surrounded by cl very rocky cliffs. And there was only one way in to this Acropolis. And so the city of Sardis throughout history, like hundreds of years before even this church existed, the city of Sardis boasted about the impregnability of the city. No one could enter their Acropolis. No one could, no invader could succeed entering this particular Acropolis. They were very confident about 
the way that they could defend the Acropolis. Because if everything was surrounded by cliffs, they just had to put all of their army at the at the very entrance and just you know fight the enemy until they all died. But the interesting thing is that this city fell multiple times because people climbed the rocks and entered through the back. This happened multiple times. It's like they didn't learn their history. They just kept, it kept happening. In fact, there is, uh, in, in one of the most memorable ones is, is when the, the city of Sardis fell to King Cyrus the Great in, in the middle of the sixth century before Christ. And I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to give you the whole story, but basically what happened is that the king of, of Sardis was so confident that, that uh, Cyrus was not going to conquer them, that in the middle of the attack, as the city was being attacked, he was so confident that he went to sleep, only to wake up to the city having been taken by King Cyrus. And so I think, I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm, I would imagine that the church of Sardis, even though this happened centuries before them, they were familiar with the story of the city of Sardis. And so I think that when Jesus tells them, wake up, if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief and you will not know at what hour I came. I think that, that they should have known. They should have remembered that story and say, yeah, we are being overconfident. We are leaning on our works, but our works don't measure up. Our works are uh, incomplete in the sight of God. Now, whenever we hear that Jesus will come like a thief, our, our minds immediately go to the promises of, of the second coming, right? He will come like a thief in the night and no one will know the hour. And I think that we do right to go back to those things, to, to remember those those prophecies, but I do want to give us a, a, a warning here. I do think that sometimes we can grow complacent because of our eschatology, because of what we believe about the end times. And this is, this is what I'm thinking. The reasoning may go something like this. Well, it's been 2000 years plus and Jesus hasn't come back. And, you know, since we're going to be raptured anyways, then why, why, why am I worried, right? Like, I'm, I'm good to go. Like, Jesus is going to come, he's going to take us, and then he's going to punish the world. But I think that we can grow too complacent in that while these warnings for the churches had an ultimate eschatological uh, end times uh, uh aspect to it, perspective, they also had to mean something to the original audience. And really, if you think about it, none of us can presume, or I'm just going to read you this, uh, I'm going to read you this quote from Old Palmer Robertson. It is an established principle of God's working in the world that God's judgments begin with his own people. And these judgments are always imminent. No man ever has the right to presume 
that judgment for him will be delayed beyond the present day. Especially God's own people must realize that judgment begins now with them. Or in the words of the apostle Peter, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So none of us should presume that God's judgment will never come to us if we continue in disobedience and unfaithfulness to him. It is a mistake to think that because the last hour will happen far in the future or we won't even be here for it, that God will not come in judgment against those who are unfaithful to him and who continue in disobedience. Do not ever presume that judgment will not come to you if you continue in disobedience. Or think of the, think of the master, think of the, the, uh, the steward who says, my master is delayed and begins, and so he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is from Matthew 24. So to the church of Sardis and to whoever here who is just going through the motions, but whose works are not complete. If you will not wake up, Jesus says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now the message turns to more, uh, more hopeful message. I mean, really the whole thing is hopeful, right? Because it is only the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God that he is warning this church. He could, he could just left that, leave, leave them to themselves. But by his grace, he is warning them to wake up. But he has something good to say to this church. He says, or a commendation. He says, yet you have, verse four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. To the one who conquers, sorry, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there were a few people who were faithful in Sardis, not very many. The majority of people in Sardis needed to wake up. But there were a few faithful people in the church of Sardis. There were a few faithful who had walked in white, who had, or sorry, who had not soiled their garments, who kept their garments clean. I really like the song that, that we sang at the end. Are you washed in the blood? And it talks all about the garments and, and, and walking in white garments. And here is, here is a thought for us. Because when Jesus returns, he will give us white garments. It doesn't mean that right now we can do whatever we want and we can, our, our, our current garments, we can get them as filthy as we can. In the end, Jesus is going to give us new garments, right? No, 
No, that's not how it works. Remember the words of John in 1 John chapter 3. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So because we know that we are going to be like him and because we know that we are going to be pure and because we know that we are going to walk in white with him, with the garments that he gives us, we are already purifying ourselves. We are already trying to stay clean. We are already trying to flee from sin. We are already trying to live holy lives. Because we are going to be sanctified, we sanctify ourselves. Because we know that the promise of Christ of sanctifying us is so secure. Also notice that these people are called worthy. And this is an interesting word for a book that is so concerned with the worthiness of Christ, right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain, who redeemed a people for himself. This book is all about the worthiness of Christ. And just think about the honor of being called worthy by Christ himself. That Christ, the one who is worthy, the one who deserves all worship, all honor, all glory, that he would say, you are worthy. I will walk with you in white because you are worthy. Because you walked in a manner worthy of my calling. You walked in a manner worthy of the gospel. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. When you are walking in obedience to Christ, when you are walking in daily repentance, in obedience to God, in remembrance of his gospel, there is nothing to fear because you have all the assurance in the world that your name is written in the book of life. It's not that Jesus is one day going to blot it out and then the next day write it up, write it up and then blot it out and, and write it. No. He is faithful. He will never erase your name from the book of life if you remain faithful to him. And finally, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I, growing up, I never won any prizes. I never had any uh, public recognition. I never won a, a raffle, anything like that. In school, I was not a very good student. I was mostly lazy. So uh, my parents never received a congratulations from the teachers or anything like that until I went to college. When I was in college, I don't know what happened. Something switched. It was Elena. It, yeah, it was probably Elena. <laughs> but by the grace of God, I did really well in college. And so at graduation, my parents are there at graduation and I get called up front to go receive a couple of awards. Man, number one, I, isn't it nice hearing your name? Like just, you know, in general, hearing your name, but hearing your name to like go receive a recognition, it just feels good. 
It feels so good. And now imagine not only going up there to receive this award, but to also do it in front of my parents who never got a single congratulations from my teachers. And, and at, at, in college, several of my teachers went and talked to them and, and congratulated them. And it was just, you know, it was great. Well, now imagine the recognition coming from Christ. Imagine hearing your name from Christ, from the mouth of Jesus, calling you to be recognized, not before your parents, but before his father, before our heavenly father. Just imagine being there, receiving that recognition because you were faithful, because you heard his words and you repented, you woke up. Just imagine that. Jesus calling your name in recognition. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this message is an, an, uh, a wake-up call for us. And particularly, if you are one of those who are going, just going through the motions, if you have the reputation of being alive, but really you are dead or as good as dead, don't stay there. This is a message of hope for you. Go back to the gospel. Remember the grace of God. Obey the word of God and continue in a life of repentance because Jesus is worthy. Let us walk in a manner worthy of him because he is worthy because he is the lamb that was slain for us. He is the lamb that gave his life and shed his blood to redeem a people for himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that died for us and shed his blood for us. Help us to live lives worthy of you. Help us to awake from our spiritual sleep, from our spiritual death. Please bring life to us, to our churches by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you everyone for being here.